Jason looked at the digital readout on the sedative injector. The two captives had received enough of the drug to keep a small gang of men down for a week, and still they could move, though not much given how tightly the Nogri had bound them. It slammed into him just how tough the Yuzhong Vong's creations were. He turned to the back end of the best chance, where Ganner sat with a reddened pressure bandage against his face. Corin said I can give you a dose of sedative if you want it. No, I don't need it. Ganner turned his head and glanced at one of the Nogri. Sirka, the medpack has a nylar field cauterizer. He peeled the bandage from his face. Use it to close the wound. The Nogri bent to retrieve the medpack from beneath Ganner's seat. Wait a minute. Jason held up his hand. The wound on Ganner's face ran from above his left eye, splitting the brow, down to his cheekbone and below to his jawline. We'll get out of here. You can get into a back to tank. If he uses that thing, you'll have a scar. I imagine I will. Ganner looked at the Nogri. You don't have to be fancy. Just close the wound. The Nogri nodded and reached out to pinch Ganner's flesh together. He stroked the cauterizer against the wound's seam, sending little puffs of white smoke into the air. Ganner gripped the arms of the seat. Jason could feel some pain coming off him, but it was considerably less than the disgust that rolled off the injured Jedi. It seemed to Jason almost as if Ganner was, with each touch of the cauterizer, reliving the cut that had opened the wound. Don't worry, Ganner. You won't be fooled by one of them again. You don't understand. Jason, the Yuzhong Vong didn't fool me. I fooled myself. Kanna closed his eyes for a moment and sat back. Throughout this mission, since I first heard of the Yuzhong Vong even, I wanted to prove that I was better than they were. It wasn't a stretch for me to think I was brilliant compared to the Yuzhong Vong. I'd been thinking that for a long time compared to other Jedi. Your uncle, Corin, Cam, all of them. They aren't of our generation. They don't know the Force the way we do. Didn't have the training we did. Cragval made me pay for my arrogance in a way none of the others had. They could have. Your uncle could have broken me down. Corin could have been nastier. But I took their being nice as a sign of weakness. So, yes, I'll have a scar. And it will be good. The old Ganner, he had a perfect face over a perfectly arrogant attitude. Not so anymore. Every time I look in a mirror, I'll be reminded that he died on Garki, and I'm here in his place. Wedge Antilly stood with Admiral Crefay on the Rao Roost's bridge. They both stared at the brilliant spot that was Garki. A simple jump through hyperspace could carry the ship there in an instant, and might carry us into ambush. Wedge slowly shook his head. Think the Vong are waiting for us? The Bothan Admiral shrugged uneasily. There's still a great deal we don't know about them, Wedge. The message that came in from Corin requesting a pickup was sent over twelve hours ago. The Yuzhong Vong could have reacted to Corin's operation and have summoned support we just don't know. We live and learn, Wedge said. Crefay flashed fangs as he smiled. If we live, we learn. Without looking back, he growled a question. Sensors? No anomalous system readings? No, Admiral. All is within normal limits. 
The Vathan then nodded to a dark-furred officer at the communications console. Lieutenant, send a message to Colonel Horn. Tell him we are here to pick him up. As ordered, Admiral. The snowy Vathan then looked over at Tycho Selkjul at the Flight Operations Command Center. Colonel, if you would be so kind to put our fighters on alert. Done, Admiral. Crefe came full around to face Wedge, his eyes narrowing. It would seem a decision to advance would be difficult, but it's really not. We made a bargain with Horn and his people. They go into danger, we get them out. I will uphold that bargain. Ensconced in his cabin aboard the Burning Pride, with the cognition hood linking him to the ship's sensory apparatus, Dane Lian let the first shock of finding new Republic forces at Garki roll off him. He had proposed to Shedao Shai an expedition to Garki, ostensibly to check up on how Kragval was doing with the slave conversion experiment. He intended, based on reports from his own agents in the Garki garrison, to show that resistance had not been wiped out there, shaming Kragval and bringing his master's judgment into question. Shedao Shai had granted the request for the trip, but demanded that Den take a large task force with him. He'd acquiesced to the request because he knew it was a gross waste of resources, which would not look good for Shedao Shai. And yet, somehow, he knew. Dane Lian shivered, then focused. The ship's sensors brought him a holographic feel for the system and ships. His training allowed him to pick out the prize, the one ship running from Garki, the one ship to which the infidels were sending their fighters. As fast as he could think it, the order went out. His forces oriented on the small ship, racing away from Garki. Get it, kill it, then kill all the rest of them. Watching the sensors intently, Jaina felt a shiver run down her spine. Were this a sim, it would be obvious that we're overmatched. It would be time to cut and run. She sighed. We can't run. We can't win, so we just have to hope we hurt them enough that they don't really win either. Sparky screeched as dozens of new fighter contacts sprayed themselves over Jaina's aft sensor screens. She glanced down at her monitor. The craft looked like nothing she had ever seen before. It had a Thai fighter ball cockpit with the twin iron engine pod at the back of it. Unlike Thai's, though, this one had four arms emerging from the junction of engine and pod. They jutted out and forward as if fingers closing on the cockpit, splaying out in an array that was faintly reminiscent of an X-Wing's laser positioning for combat. A sharp keening peeled through her comm unit, then resolved itself into a human voice. Rogues, they are ours now. Spike lean out. What? Who? Jaina's jaw dropped as the claw-like fighters blasted past her, all grouped in tight formations. They twisted and turned as if the pilot shared a brain, moving with a precision that took her breath away. Their weapons blazed out with green splinter shots, then loose paired bolts that hit the skips with incredible accuracy. Cockpits became volcanoes. Dovin basils boiled and exploded. Skips crumbled as the 36 claw craft that had just appeared in the system raked their way through the dogfight. Rogue leader, to all rogues, recall is ordered. Back to the roost. We have achieved our objective and we're heading home. Jaina blinked, then stretched out with the force. She felt her brother's presence, safe and whole, on the roused. Now, if we can just get back. 
She glanced at her sensor screens. The claw craft wove intricate patterns through what had been the battleground, with quartets of them escorting X-Wings back to the Bothan ship. Don't worry, rogues. We have you now. We'll get you home safely. The patronizing tone in Spike's leader's voice made Jaina grit her teeth. Who are you? We're simply the best combat pilots in the galaxy. A momentary spark of static burst through the comm channel. We are a Chiss House phalanx, on loan to the New Republic by my father, General Baron Suntir Fell. What Shedao Shai saw on the surface of Garki did not please him. Coming down to the planet in a shuttle, he had seen a blackened scar below, but standing amid it magnified its obscenity. The dry scent of burned wood filled his nostrils, and occasionally a hint of charred flesh made it through as well. Pleased that the mask he wore hid his shock and disgust, Shedarshai looked down at the subordinate who lay prostrate before him. He carefully placed his foot on his inferior's neck. What happened here, Runktas? Tell me all. Runk's fingers clawed into the ground. Dragval, as is proper, announced a challenge to the enemy leader. Silverblade did not answer it. Yellowblade did. Then one of the others, not a Jedi, answered. Kragval cut down the first, then Yellowblade. The third Jedi slew him. Silverblade engaged others and must have slain them. Our slaves broke and ran. The enemy burned this place to the ground, consuming the bodies of their dead and ours. Shedao Shai's right hand convulsed into a fist. You could find no way to track them. No, leader. There was nothing we could do. Wrong, Runk of Domindas. Shedao Shai shifted all his weight onto the subordinate's neck, then twisted his foot, popping the skull from spine. You could have been faster. The Yuzhongvang leader left Runk's body, twitching out its life, and stood over his aid. What have you learned from letting your prey escape, Dain Lian? Analyze the battle you are involved in. The truth is obvious. I have tried, Commander. Not hard enough, Lian. They arrive and deploy to recover the Jedi. You arrive and deploy to deny them their prize. Your force is superior. Then they bring in reinforcements in two waves. The second wave's delay gains them no technical advantage. Moreover, given where the second wave appeared in the system, there are a limited number of points from which they could have come. Few of them allow for convenient access to the New Republic, but not so this Imperial Remnant. The Yuzhongvang leader paced. So, my supposition is that the second wave was from the Imperial Remnant. The aide looked up. My leader's wisdom is boundless. How did you know to send ships with me? Jedao Shai paused for a moment. The earlier appearance of the New Republic ship at Garki made no sense. If they wished a scouting run on Garki, it could have remained at the system fringe while their fighters flew in close, gathered data, and retreated. The only reason for them to be here was to deliver the ship that was reported down. 
Analysis of the crash site showed us all we would expect. Why would we find traces of the crew of a stricken ship when they could get into escape pods? Now we know. The escape ship was hidden in the downed one. The bio-trace material merely baked. It was an elaborate ruse. But why? Shadao Shai opened his arms. We are standing amid their reason. Go now and find out why they destroyed this place. Shadao Shai waited for the sound of his aide's footsteps to fade before he turned to regard his silent golden shadow. And what do you make of this destruction, Elegos? How do you stand being with such dishonorable creatures? Elegos frowned. What dishonor? The New Republic risked much to recover a force sent here. There is honor in that. The Yuzhongvong leader found his hand quivering as rage coursed through him. Here, bodies were burned where they lay. They were treated as if they were rubbish. And not only our bodies. This I could understand, after a fashion. But their own. Elego squatted near a carbonized skeleton. We, too, honor our dead when possible. With your forces gathering, that clearly was not possible. The Yuzhong Vong pressed his fists together. At the mention of a Jedi called Silverblade, you started almost imperceptibly. I shall assume you know this Jedi. The Kamasi nodded. His name is Corin Horn. Corin Horn. Shedao Shai let the words roll around in his mouth. He linked the sound of them to the taste of the Jedi's blood from Bimyo. You didn't tell me he was the one who killed my kin at Bimyo. The Kamasi lifted his chin. Koran is not a stupid or dishonorable man, despite how you read what you see here. None of the Jedi are stupid, nor are most of the leaders of the New Republic. The Kamasi ventured a small smile. And through my time with you, I have some understanding of your ways. I am even led to believe that some sort of accord could be reached. This war does not have to go on forever. Shedao Shai folded his arms. If I were to open a dialogue, I would need an envoy I could trust implicitly. I have none such among my people. Elegos's eyes half shut. I could be your ambassador. Indeed. An excellent idea. Shedao Shai nodded slowly, then turned and beckoned Elegos to follow him. Come along. I will prepare you to deliver a message to these Jedi. A message they cannot possibly fail to understand. Though there had been peace with the Imperial Remnant for over six years, Corrin still felt a sense of dissonance as he watched Admiral Gilid Pelion enter the briefing room aboard the Ralroost. Admiral Crefe greeted him warmly, shaking his hand. I cannot thank you enough for having intervened when you did. Bellion took a seat across from Corrin at the briefing table. That left Admiral Crefay at the head, Master Skywalker at the Bothan's right hand, and Corrin on Luke's right. We have quite a situation here, said Bellion. Crefay shook his head. 
We do, on several levels. And the politicians are going to complicate things. Corin sighed and slumped down in his seat. They had leapt to the edge of the Garki system, rendezvoused with the Imperial force, then had plotted a course directly for Ithor. Admiral Crefe issued a call for reinforcements, scientific teams, and a lot of support that raised alarm on Coruscant. No one had any doubt that the political leaders would begin to interfere with what really needed to be a military operation. Pelion's eyes narrowed. The battle for Ithor will determine the course of the war against the Yuzhong Vong. This isn't going to be easy, Luke shifted his shoulders uneasily. We have a couple of problems here on Ithor. The first is scientific. It is possible to take grafts from Bafor trees of the line that produced the pollen on Garki. However, the trees take years of growth before they become mature enough to produce pollen. The second and more difficult problem is that Ithorian society is based on a religion that worships the world and life. I have spoken with Relal Tauran, the high priest and Ithorian leader. Our people on the ground will have to be blessed, will have to observe certain restrictions. Corin leaned forward. Aside from these restrictions, though, we'll be employing standard defense, then? Engage in space to make landing troops difficult, then fight them as they come down and on the planet? Crefe nodded. We have some elite troops, both from the New Republic and Imperial space, that are disciplined enough to work within the Ithorian strictures, at least until hot light starts flying. The New Republic Admiral looked to his remnant counterpart. That decision, though, will be up to you, Admiral. Pelion looked startled. What are you saying? Crefe smiled carefully. You are the senior officer here, with far more experience than I have. I fought the Yuzhong Vong several times and never come away with a clean victory. So, I am not seeing something. I would like you to be in command of the defense of Ithor. The Imperial officer nodded slowly. You will be second in the chain of command, of course. Honored, yes. Corin arched an eyebrow. Well, the politicians won't like that at all. Pelion smiled quickly. And then who, Master Skywalker? The Bothan glanced at Luke. Jedi fought on the ground at Dantooine and again at Bimil. Will they have a role here? Luke pressed his hands together, and Corin caught an impression of pain from his master. Things they might be called upon to do would be outside the boundaries of strict defensive action. The Jedi master glanced at Corin. Your thoughts? No question we have to help with the defense. Corin sighed. I'm not sure there's anything we could do here short of slaughtering innocents that would be of the dark side. And I'm fairly certain there will be no Vong innocents on the planet. The Bothan tapped a talon on the table. Not knowing about the Yuzhong Vong, about their culture and traditions, makes the task of figuring out how to fight them so much more difficult. Pelion smiled. Grand Admiral Thrawn set great store by studying the art of a culture as a key to understanding it. I don't know what he would make of the Yuzhong Vong, but the few chis that came in from the unknown regions took to fighting them very eagerly. Yes, the chis in their clawcraft. Crefe smoothed fur at the back of his neck. You can rest assured that Coruscant did not like hearing that there was a whole contingent of Thrawn's people lurking out there. 
I'm sure many of them fear you'll use the Chis to carve a new empire from the New Republic. Talion shrugged. I might have had I known they were there, but I was not privy to all of Thrawn's plans. When we issued a recall to all Imperial agents and troops, no matter where they were, this contingent showed up with Baron Fell's compliments, and led by his son. The Remnant Admiral spread his arms wide. The Moths will be as opposed to my helping you defend Ithor, as your leaders will be to having Imperial forces operating in the New Republic. We will have to come up with a plan that shows our leaders we are splitting responsibility and risk to the gain of all. The man's eye sparked. And in this coming fight, if we can't do that, everything, Ithor, New Republic and Imperial space, is doomed. Jason Solo clasped his hands at the small of his back. He'd answered his uncle's call for the Jedi to assemble on an upper level of the Tafanda Bay, one of the Ithorian herd ships that drifted lazily above the jungle. Had Jason not known they were in a ship, he could have easily been led to believe that he was in a domed city nestled comfortably on the planet below. The transparisteel dome displayed a bright blue sky, and the verdant foliage throughout the city let the white walls and walkways peek through only here and there. Though he could feel Jaina's presence in the floating city, she had not come to the meeting. He knew she was simming again, and he momentarily resented how the squadron was keeping her separate from him and the Jedi. Standing there between Ganner and Anakin, Jason caught himself thinking negatively about his sister and probed his own feelings. He felt a twinge of jealousy because she clearly loved flying with Rogue Squadron. Jason acknowledged doing good and necessary work on Belkaden and Garki, but still, he had a sense of dissatisfaction haunting him. If the Force was something that bound all life together, could killing be in any way justified? He knew in his heart that there was something more to being a Jedi than being a warrior. Two things served to rock Jason out of his internal journey. Until Luke's arrival, along with the Ithorian High Priest, Rilal Tauron, Jason had no idea why they had been called together and the solemnity with which the Jedi Master and the High Priest moved suggested that the reason for the meeting was most serious. The entry of Deshara Kor into the room, slipping through the hatchway after Luke, likewise underscored the seriousness of the situation. Ever since Luke had arrived at Ithor, the Twi'lek had been kept secluded at her request. Jason knew Luke had spent time with her, but the Jedi Master had offered no explanation for her search for superweapons. Luke Skywalker stood before the two dozen Jedi and inclined his head toward them. Brothers and sisters, Rilal Tauron is here to prepare us for what will be our part in the coming struggle. Listen well to what he has to say. Though we are here to save Ithor, we could, through negligence, destroy it. That cannot happen. The Ithorian nodded acknowledgement of Luke's words, then said, We welcome you, the Jedi, here, and thank you for what you will do for us. I speak not just as myself, but for the mother jungle above which we drift, and for the Ithorian people. Rilal Tauron spread his arms. You all have heard that no one is allowed to set foot on Ithor. This statement is materially correct in its translation into basic, but not absolutely true. We have pilgrims who do go down into our world. Before they make such journeys, they prepare themselves spiritually. You will journey to the surface. 
So we wish to prepare you so you will accept the world as your mother, and the world will accept you as its children. The pilgrim looks at pruning aspects of herself that keep her from being one with the world below, so it shall be with you. You must think upon that part of yourself that closes you in, and that is the part of yourself you need to modify. You shall share those things. It is only through functioning together that we can succeed. Luke Skywalker turned toward the Ithorian. If it would be permitted, I would like to go first. We would be honored, Master Skywalker. I renounce responsibility. Luke's eyes narrowed, and Jason could feel shock rise from some of the other Jedi. For a long time, I felt weighed down by being sole heir to a Jedi tradition. I cheated you. You're all my co-heirs. I know you'll accept shares of the responsibility I've carried around with me. I have every confidence in you. A chill ran down Jason's spine. Luke's renunciation was a gift to them all. Anakin surprised Jason by stepping forward fairly quickly. His little brother's shoulders straightened, and his voice did not waver. I give up self-assuredness. I want so much to be right, to do the right thing, that I don't look to see if another answer would be better. Judging yourself right is a destination. I'm just on a journey. At the far end of the line, Deshara Kor looped one leku back over her shoulder. I renounce hatred. The description of the Yuzhong Vang taking slaves made me hate them as I hated those who had enslaved my mother. That hatred made me do stupid things. No more. I will stop the Yuzhong Vang because they must be stopped. But I will not hate them. Jason listened to each Jedi in turn, less trying to understand their words than marveling in the sense of peace their declarations seemed to kindle in them. He desperately sought that aspect of himself that locked him away from such peace. Suddenly his jaw dropped open as his flesh puckered. The simplicity of the answer astounded him. He stepped forward. I renounce the need to know, now, what I will become later. Even before his uncle nodded to him, a warmth had begun to spread from his heart throughout his body. He'd not abandoned his search for his place as a Jedi, just drained the urgency from it. That energy he redirected into his efforts to defend Ithor. The sense of well-being he had as a result left him no question that he'd made the right choice. The High Priest raised his hands once more. You Jedi, through your link with the Force, understand how life is woven together with life. Here today... You are woven together with the Mother Jungle and the Athorian people. As fibers woven are stronger than those alone, so shall we all be strong together facing this threat. Luke remained at the front of the room as Relal Tauron made for the egress hatchway. The Ithorian paused only once to rest his hands on Desharakor's shoulders and whisper in her ear. Then he exited the room. The Jedi broke down into little groups. Luke walked directly over to Jason and Anakin and opened his arms. He rested a hand on each of his nephew's shoulders. I'm very proud of the two of you. The Sharakor cut through the crowd of other Jedi and paused a couple of meters shy of the group. Master, if I could have a moment. Luke turned toward her. Please join us. The woman looked down at her hands. I 
just wanted to thank you for trusting me, inviting me here, allowing me to participate in this ceremony. Until asked to articulate things here, I had not understood exactly why I had done what I did. I had allowed my hatred to make as much of a slave of me as my mother had been. I don't regret opposing slavery or opposing the Yuzhong Vong, but I can't do it for the wrong reasons. Winning or preserving freedom is good. Seeking retribution is not. The Jedi Master nodded. I'm glad to have you back with us, the Sharakor. The struggle we'll face will demand the best. And here, I think we have the best. Freed from the embrace of pain, Shadao Shai turned his head slowly to where Dane Leon stood. You have a reason to disturb me? His subordinate kept his eyes averted. My leader, we believe we have determined what it was the Jedi sought to hide on Garki. As you will recall, Commander, we had a high failure rate with the searchers we were using in that area. The searchers had inflammations of their respiratory systems. While doing forensic examinations of the searchers that had failed, the scanning creatures discovered pollen grains. The searchers died of an allergic reaction to the pollen. Vondun crab armor apparently had a more immediate and violent reaction. The Yuzhong Vong leader's eyes narrowed. You have isolated the plant that produced this pollen? The Bafur trees, which are native to the planet they call Aithor. The world is within our current invasion corridor, accessible from Garki. Leon lifted his chin. I have taken the liberty of preparing a plan for the planet's annihilation. Ithor is rich in organic matter. Destroying it will be simple. Shedao Shai shook his head. That is not how we will do it. Why not? Impatience flashed over Leon's face. The infidels must be fortifying, I thought. They cannot allow us to take it from them. Fighting there will be fierce. Shedao Shai spun away from Lian and began to pace. What you suggest would be most efficient, but would hurt us more than help. We need to show them that we will crush them no matter their preparations. As you point out, they must fortify, I thought. When we take it, we will send a message out to the rest of the New Republic that we are implacable and invincible. As for the pollen, no word of this goes out to anyone. If your people can find a way to modify armor to be immune, good. If not, we will fight without living armor. Shedao Shai smiled. We are the Yuzhong Vong. Our cause is just. The gods armor us when we go into combat. And entering it in a dead shell is just a sign of our faith in them. Anakin found Shalko in the Pulsar Skates Lounge. You weren't going to tell me you were leaving? Shalko leaned down, resting his hands on the youth's shoulders. You've been busy doing Jedi stuff. I didn't want to interrupt. Mirax needed some help, and one thing flowed into another, you know? And I was planning to leave you a message. Anakin smiled. Okay, I believe you. He looked to his right as a comm link on a shelf started to beep. Should I? 
Chalco nodded. It's Corin's. Anakin, where's Corin? Wedge Antilly's voice was easy to recognize, even over the comlink. He's outside with Mirax. I can get him. Tell him to wait there. I'm on my way to that docking bay anyway. Anakin frowned. What's the matter? A Yuzhong Vong cruiser showed up at the edge of the system and dumped out a shuttle. Its ID transponder registers as the one Elegos Akla took to meet with Yuzhong Vong. Wedge's voice became lower. All we're getting is a recorded message playing over and over. It's from Elegos to Corin, conveying to him the compliments of a Yuzhong Vong commander. Corin felt extremely uncomfortable in the environment suit. He was sweating, but he wasn't hot since the suit's cold temperature had him shivering. The growths on Elegos' shuttle had his flesh crawling. A huge growth looking to Corin, a lot like a giant scab, covered the whole landing ramp. He glanced over at Wedge. What do you think? Well, your lightsaber ought to be able to core through the hull. But since this is being presented to you with the Yuzhong Vong commander's compliments, I'm not inclined to think he wants you carving up his handiwork. Corin nodded. He raised a gloved hand toward the growth, and a spiky spine shifted to orient toward it. In an eye blink, a slender needle shot out, but failed to penetrate the glove. Corin extended his left hand to Wedge. Take my glove off. I'm going to touch it with my bare hand. Wedge frowned. Are you sure this is wise? Of course not. But I don't think I've got much choice. The Jedi smiled. If you were to send someone a token of your esteem, you'd lock it up and give him some sort of combination or code to open it, wouldn't you? I left enough blood on Bimiel that the Vong have easily got samples. I'm betting this thing is keyed to open when it gets another taste of me. The older man stripped the Jedi's glove off, and Corin raised his hand toward the shuttle's belly. One of the spines flicked a needle into his palm, and Corin stared at the bead of blood rising from the little wound. The edges of the scab cracked, with little pieces of it falling to the deck to shatter like ice. Thick, glistening lines of mucus flowed from around the edges, linking the hull to the descending ramp. Corin headed up the ramp, his lightsaber lit. Wedge came close on his heels with a blaster in his right hand. Save for some bioluminescent lighting, the shuttle remained dark, with the lightsaber's blaze deepening shadows and stretching them into grotesques as Corin waved it about. Throughout the shuttle, panels had been pulled open and smashed. Weird Yuzhong Vong growths, some like roots, others just coral spikes, decorated the interior hull. They spread out in an ivy-like pattern. But even as the two men entered the ship, the growths began to wither and sag. Corin shook his head. I don't understand. I do. Wedge pulled a piece of root from a wall and it dissolved in his hand. Something is metabolizing this stuff very fast. It's like having a compost pile decaying at light speed. Well, if that's the message Shedao Shai wants to send me, I'm not planning on dying that fast, thanks. Corin held his lightsaber high to spread the light out. Wait. What's this? Up toward the front of the passenger compartment sat a large and semi-ovoid shape that looked very much to Corin like the shell of a sea creature. As the two men approached it, the villip perched on top took on the features of Elegos. It began to speak in Elegos' voice. There 
is much I would tell you about the Yuzhang Wang, but I have little time. For you, Corin Horn, Shedao Shai has great respect. He knows you were at Bimyal. The two warriors slain there were kin of his. He believes the two of you will meet in the future. So he has prepared for you the enclosed, so you may study his handiwork as he has studied yours. Eligo's eyes softened. It is my hope that I will be with you again soon, in a time of peace. Please give my love to my daughter and friends. Fear not for me, Corin. Though difficult, this mission is vital if there is to be any chance at peace at all. At the message's conclusion, the villip condensed back down into a ball, then dropped to the decking. Wedge nodded at the container. You going to open it? Corin held his left hand above the seal and tightened it into a fist, letting a couple of droplets of blood drip down onto the Yuzhong Vong device. The shell case slowly opened. The lightsaber's glow flashed from gold in the interior. Sinspawn! Corin dropped to his knees. Oh! Oh, no! No! The opened case revealed a work of art that clearly had been the result of many hours lovingly lavished on it. A fully articulated skeleton sat cross-legged, each bone washed with gold. Scintillating violet gems burned in the hollows of the eye sockets. Amethysts had been powdered and layered onto the sides of the skull, flaring back in the exact pattern of Eligos stripes. The Kamasi skeleton sat there, its head canted down to stare at a villip nestled in the triangle described by its legs. That ball of tissue hardened into mismatched features. I am Shedao Shai. You are at Bimil. You slew two of my kinsmen and left them to be gnawed by vermin. You stole the bones of my ancestor. These bones here I present to you, so you may know the proper way to venerate fallen Yuzhongvong warriors. The voice softened almost imperceptibly. I regret that your actions forced me to slay Elegos. I want you to know I did it myself with my bare hands. As I strangled him, I read in his eyes betrayal, but only at the first. Before he died, he understood the necessity of his death. You must understand it as well. The Yuzhong Vong's eyes narrowed on the village surface. We will meet our respective forces at the world you call Aethor. If you have any honor at all, and Eligos assured me you did. You will return to me the bones of my ancestor. If you do not, then it is you who renders our friend's death meaningless. Corin felt Wedge's hands on his shoulders as the villip rounded itself again. The Jedi flicked off his lightsaber, sinking the cabin into darkness, all but hiding the skeleton displayed before him. He reached out with his hand, seeking warmth, seeking something of Eligos' essence. 
Both just felt cold. Wedge, he was... Elegos was so peaceful. He... He saved me and my sanity when I was with the pirates. He helped save Mirax. Corin hung his head. And his murderer tells me that his death is my fault? Elegos never did anything to hurt anyone. And is slaughtered to make a point? Corin heaved himself to his feet. He wants those bones back. He'll get them. And in a big box, too. I'm going to pack his in with them. The light from the holographic representation of the Ithorian system splashed over the faces of the people gathered in the briefing room. Luke watched it shift and change as Admiral Crefe altered the perspective. The image's center soared out around Ithor in a spiral orbit, flashing past the city ships as they crept slowly away from what had been their home. The Bothan Admiral froze the image there. The evacuation is proceeding pretty well. The city ships are not structurally sound enough to make the jump to light speed, even if they could be fitted with hyperspace drives. We can and will keep them screened from the Vong force, while any ships we can round up will evacuate the people. Admiral Pillion nodded solemnly. I would have never thought it possible to evacuate a planet's entire population. Corin frowned. We've not got them all away, not by a long shot. And there is plenty of life left behind on Ithor. We're just taking away the most mobile parts of it. Crefe nodded. Best estimates are that we need a week or so to complete the evacuation. But that's provided the extra shipping I've requested can get here. It's a race against time. He smoothed the white fur on his neck. Ever since the Vong showed up in the Ithorian system, I've been running dozens of simulations of the probable course of battle. The outcome is fairly consistent. One big battle then a standoff. At their current rate of advance, we engage in three days, perhaps four. Pelion pressed his fingertips together. Our engineers have finished the work on the ground station. The defenders, such as they are, are in position. Shells defending shells, but it should be sufficient to fool the Vong. Luke nodded. Good. The Jedi are very close to finishing our preparations on the Defanda Bay. I'd prefer more time to make sure things work properly, but we go when we go. It's really up to the Yuzhong Vong. Corin's eyes narrowed. Well, it sounds as if what we really need, instead of a standoff, is a truce. Luke looked hard at Corin. What do you have in mind? You've been planning something. Caught red-handed. Corin's lips pressed into a flat line. I sent a message to Agamar. And a day from now, I expect to get those bones from the archaeological team that recovered them. I'll have something Shedao Shai wants. Corin paused and shook his head. No, I'll have two things Shedao Shai wants. The bones and me. I killed two of his kin on Bimul, so he killed Elegos. He wants to kill me. The Corellian Jedi raised his chin. What I propose is this. I challenge the Vong leader to a duel. He wins, he gets the bones. I win, I get Ithor. To set it up, we have a truce. How long do you want, a week? Two? A week would be great. Two would be better. Crefay nodded. This could work. Luke shook his head. No, this can't happen. Corin, it's not right. 
You challenge him to a duel, you become the aggressor. You're coercing him into acting. That's not what Jedi do. I know. Corin closed his eyes and sat back. I wish there was another way, Master, but this one just feels right. Luke glanced at Corin. He wanted to forbid the bargain that had been proposed, but he didn't because of the sense of calm radiating from his colleague. I trust your judgment, Corin. I know you will do the right thing. May the Force be with us all. Admiral Trace Prefay stood forward on the Ralroost's bridge, watching the spacecape over Ithor. Out in the distance, a number of dagger-shaped ships orbited the planet, with fewer of them belonging to the New Republic than to the Imperial remnant. His contemplation was cut off by Talion's sudden holographic appearance. Admiral, the Vong have reached attack range. They have launched. We have incoming. It has begun. Thank you, Admiral. Trace looked through the Imperial's vanishing hologram. Scramble, all fighters. This is not a drill, people. Fight well, and we'll live to see the Yuzhong Vong repulsed. Jaina Solo's X-Wing sailed out high above the Ral Roost and rolled left to come into position within Rogue Squadron's formation. Sparky hooted and started painting practical data on her primary monitor. In an eye blink, a dozen Yuzhong Vong targets scrolled past. The monitor displayed a huge Yuzhong Vong cruiser, bigger than anything she'd seen before. It bristled with long spines of Yorick coral, though the core of it seemed to have started life as an asteroid onto which the other pieces had been grafted. Three smaller cruisers surrounded the largest cruiser, then eight more ships were positioned in support of the rest. From all of them boiled skips, forming a cloud of contacts. Through all that, Sparky managed to pick up a series of medium-sized ships that Jaina took to be troop carriers. Fleet Command immediately downloaded tactical designators for the Yuzhong Vong ships. The biggest was designated a Grand Cruiser. The smaller ones became assault cruisers, and the smallest were tagged light cruisers. The quick chat designators of Grand, Salt, and Light were appended to the files. The troop carriers earned the name Crate. Jaina knew they had to be jam-packed full of Yuzhong Vong warriors. 